Today, a special episode of Return to Reason, where knowledge and wisdom intersect. My guest today is an experienced Christian apologist and commentator who will share some compelling insight from his work in various industries in Canada, including media and public policy analysis. How can we share truth when people do not want to listen to reason? Well, you'll find out today. Jojo, it's great to have you with me today. Let's start by just telling me a little bit about your background and who you are for those who don't know you. Uh, well, I'm a Christian apologist based here in Calgary, Alberta. Uh, I've been working in this nonprofit sector for over 20 years now. Oh, wow. I deal with all kinds of issues ranging from abortion to relativism to how do we love our LGBTQ neighbors and serve them. So uh, I, I deal with those kind of questions, but from an apologetics perspective, which is we want to be pro provide a reasonable defense or explanation for what we believe and what we do as Christians. So as a Christian apologist, I defend the biblical worldview on these kinds of topics. You know, one of the questions that I hear often as people are, they seem to struggle with this issue is when we talk about our freedoms, and individual freedoms versus group rights freedoms. Um, talk to me a little bit about that, because we hear a lot about the group, like, you know, we, our rights, but individual freedoms are crucial, aren't they? Well, absolutely. Well, and, and that's what the word rights actually comes from. Even the Canadian Constitution actually recognizes that rights are, are duties the states and others have for individuals so that we have a, a, an opportunity to thrive and live and exist. And from a Christian perspective, human rights exist as something that we have because God gives them to us and, and to us as individuals, not just to groups. And, and I think part of the, the challenge, too, is that we live at a time when people think human rights are based on how we feel, <laughs> what we think about, what, yeah. what we want, rather than both the responsibilities that society has to us, but we also have responsibilities to society as well. Another thing that I was just thinking about as, as you were talking is this issue of freedoms. And I love democracy. I love the fact that you know we have freedom, but freedoms can rub against each other. And right. when someone has freedom, like my right to travel, but then you're, you own property, what about me traveling over your property? Now we, now we need law. Is, is that, it seems to be something that the emerging generations, have they thought through this? Like my rights are infringing on yours, but they don't seem to care. Mm -hmm. Well, freedoms come in, in two ways, right? Freedom to do something and freedom to be protected from something, from mm -hmm. someone else or from state. So both of those freedoms are part of living in a democracy or part of living in a culture that respects human rights. But if you emphasize one over the other, then you're actually not free. And, and you, you hit the nail on the head there. Uh, when we talk about freedom, we also mean protection from abuse from other people. It's, it's the same thing when we talk about, say, abortion and people talk about the right to choose. My point when I respond to that is, yes, of course, we have a right to choose. But the question I ask is, is the right to choose absolute? Can we do whatever we want with our bodies? And, and the answer is no. In fact, every law written in the book, from parking tickets to murder and rape, are about limiting what we can choose to do. And that allows us to be free because there's limits to what we can choose to do. Right now, most young people, I think, have bought into the idea that freedom means I can do whatever I want. And that is not a free society. 
I've also noticed that a lot of people, when they, they're not even looking at freedom, they want everyone else to like what they believe, to agree with what they believe, uh, almost as though their whole identity and significance is wrapped up in everybody else's approval. But is there any way we're all going to agree with each other on our beliefs and, our, and, our, and what we want to do with our lives? Well, let's take the, the last half of that statement. That's a really important point, that, that we build our, our character, our, our sense of well-being if other people like us. And, and I remember a time still when we actually recognize that we see our self-worth, our value because of how God sees us, how, how we view uh, God in, in creation, uh, rather than whether or not other people like us. And, and that, that actually makes our self-worth so much less because it's contingent on how other people think. So what we're what we're seeing, I think, it goes back to what I said earlier, is that we've created a society where feelings are paramount. Mm. How we feel about ourselves or other people feel about ourselves is important. And we're stuck there because we've rejected the idea of objective truth. If there's objective truth, there's there's a sense of right and wrong that is not from us, not from our society. There's a higher power that's given us this, these truths and that these truths are timeless. There's something that are, are that's worth of value regardless of where you are. Uh, well, we have to admit, first of all, that there's a God and that this God is a good God who's given us these timeless rules. And the good thing about that good God is one of these rules is that our, we have timeless value. My skin color, my age, my sexual orientation, my gender, all of those things do not make me valuable. What makes me valuable is how God sees me. That's very well said that um, if I look to how God feels about me and his love for me, mm -hmm. I'm significant, I'm special because of that. I can now turn to others and be able to work, interact with them. And if they're not at the same place I am, it doesn't mess with my identity or my significance. Right. And what's important with that is that we actually find our value on the cross of who Jesus is and what he did to love us and to die for us and rise again. And what's important is Jesus loved everybody. So the act of service is not just something for fellow believers. It's the act of service is something for all people in all our society. It's what Jeremiah said to the Jews uh, when they were captured in Babylon. Pray for the peace of your city. As you bless it, as you are blessed, the city will be blessed as well. And I think that speaks volumes to how we as Christians ought to interact in our society, especially those working in, in the public service, including in the political world, is we have a job to bless our city, to bless our community, to seek the peace and the best for everybody as we serve everyone. So good. Let's talk a little bit about cancel culture. What are your thoughts about them? Um, why is it so toxic? What, what, this thing, I mean, I was listening to some stand-up comics. They're taking this thing on. It's, it's, it's almost like people are finally waking up a little bit. Talk to me about cancel culture. Well, like I said, I've been doing this kind of work for over 20 years now. And about 20 years ago, I was actually canceled at McGill University, at St. FX, at Dalhousie, when I was doing pro-life presentations there. And I was invited by pro-life students who went to those schools to do presentations at those schools. So this was an, uh, a formal um, 
academic discussion, debate. And, and I got canceled by these groups wanting to shut down discussion. This was over 20 years ago. And, and, and so this has expanded from abortion. How do they do it? Well, what they what at McGill is they actually stood up and they chanted for over, uh, I think, three hours. They did all 99 verses of 99 bottles of beer on the wall. Uh, they actually tried to sing Amazing Grace, but didn't know what the second verse was. Uh, but but what happened there was, and this is this is important for us to understand, is that they didn't believe anymore. They didn't act anymore as if objective truth mattered, as if we could have academic debate on these very tough issues. So cancel culture is about using power instead of reason, which is the name of your show here, Return to Reason, to be able to compel people to agree with them, to be able to say, if your ideas hurt my feelings, we have a right to shut you down instead of proving you wrong with better ideas. And so we've seen that happen all over the place now on all kinds of issues. Uh, sadly, this, this happens a lot in university campuses still, where, for example, two women at one university were debating the results of feminism and rape culture. And, and the, the feminist groups, rather than explaining the fact that here are two brilliant women, a scholar speaking about an academic issue, they tried to shut down that discussion and created a safe space for women who may have, hurt, have feelings hurt because there's a discussion going on by two women. And, and this is the kind of messaging we're sending when we do these kinds of cancellations, is that women in this case, but everyone else, are too weak to hear opposing sides. And that should be the last thing we want in a democracy. Again, the best way to beat bad ideas is with better ideas, not by rule of law or by force. And that's such a dangerous precedent, because if that's how we approach law and government and politics, then we're creating a society where we actually don't believe in truth anymore. The, the person who's the, the most sensitive in the room gets to determine now what everybody else can say. And what that and what ends up happening then is that that society becomes less uh, full of quality people who are willing to do the tough work, who are willing to say the tough things, because they're going to be going to jail or censored. And, and we're not just making this up. You know, there are laws being debated right now where the federal government gets to determine uh, what's put on the, their website, what's put on the internet, what's considered a hate a hate crime, and and th those are all dangerous precedents because that's actually the the worst way to stop bad ideas what that just does is lets bad ideas flourish underground rather than dealing with it with reason which is what i think a biblical mandate should allow us and should encourage us to fight for you know when i talk with people about this a, a common question i get from you know the average person you know is basically is this really the way everybody thinks you know, people are just wondering, is this really, am I just the odd one out here? Especially here in Canada, I think Canadians want to be good people. And, and the desire uh, to, uh, to take care of the weak, to make sure there's equality for those who are disadvantaged, is a good one. Mm -hmm. And that fuels cancel culture. Because that good motivation then ends up causing some really bad behavior mm -hmm. because the only solution to addressing, say, inequality then becomes rule of law or force or censoring people. 
And, and as I said, this actually creates a backlash, creates an unfairness that other people are saying, well, you know, why, why are we doing this? Uh, there's, a, there's a sense of, uh, for example, someone who is promoted because of their gender or sexual orientation or race uh, at a job is only there because of those qual the qualities rather than because of their personal qualifications. And I can say that as someone who uh, was approached at a job I had, uh, to to put down my racial background because they needed the employment equity balance and they said there weren't enough basically brown people like me at this job and and I refused to do that I, I said no I'm I should be here because I'm here of my qualifications yeah. not because of my skin color and and the human resources person uh, was so disappointed he actually had to ask me twice <laughs> two, two separate times he came back a second time saying we really need help on this and and thankfully it was optional i didn't have to do it but i i why is that even something that you would pressure someone to do except if you're trying to put in sort of an arbitrary standard where you're not actually recognizing the individual like you talked about earlier and, and i said like i said this also creates backlash when i was being um uh, shut, shut down at McGill University, like I said, for three hours. What ended up happening is I actually was able to give some of my presentation. And one of these protesters came up to me at the end of the presentation, that uh, the small part that I could give. And I, I was hesitant to talk to him, but he approached me and he said, I, I want you to know you may not want to talk to me, but I wish I could have heard more of your presentation. Hmm. So he changed his mind because of that. And that's that's what ended up happening. Most of these protesters realized in subsequent presentations I did at other, other universities that their method wasn't working. It actually creates advertising for the other point of view when they do this, and it backfired. And I think this is the same thing. If you're going to create uh, internet censorship in Canada, which is what they're planning to do with one of the federal bills, you're just going to promote these ideas and get other people who aren't Canadian to be teaching them in Canada rather than engaging them. If they're such bad ideas, they cannot pass the test of reason. And the fact that they're not willing to have it tested by reason tells me that they don't have a reasonable position in the first place. So when we look at the person who goes, is this really the way everyone else thinks? I mean, mm -hmm. you travel, you, you present, you debate, this is your entire life. Uh, is it just a small group of people trying to enforce their will on the rest of us? Or should we all be afraid and go, everybody feels this way? Well, I, I can't say for sure because I can't read every human heart. I will say, though, that there seems to be an extremism by a segment of Canadian society amplified by the media. I have a journalism background, so I can actually speak like this, where most of these journalists, for example, and the political leaders that they interact with come from a specific bubble. They come from their own community. And so they, they view the rest of Canada through that lens and cover it through that lens. So, for example, I've been told by a reporter that because I'm pro-life, they don't need to cover my side of the issue uh, because there's not enough of you to actually matter. He actually said that. And, and so when you watch abortion coverage, say, for example, the Roe versus Wade coverage in Canada, what you end up seeing is only pro-abortion people commenting. And you know, there are very few pro-life people. There's actually even less and less pro-life commentators being allowed on TV 
even though that would make sense in the story to cover both sides because you want to hear people who support the decision and people who oppose the decision talking about that from a Canadian perspective. So what's actually happened in the media is professional malfeasance. They're not actually doing their job. And that's why I think it feels like the majority of Canadians feel this way because that point of view is amplified. There's, there's no other perspective being shared. Yes. So my encouragement to those who are your audience is don't believe that everybody believes this. That's not true. But find the communities that are willing to articulate this and then learn how to articulate yourself. At the end of the day, the best way to counter these bad ideas in the media, in university, is through everyday conversations, through daily dialogue, to make sure you're equipped, whether you're talking to a friend on the phone or on social media, to say, here are some good reasons, here are some good questions your point of view needs to answer, which is not being discussed in the public because they're not even willing to hear the other side. What would you say, Jojo, to followers of Christ like yourself who believe in freedom, who believe that we should share the gospel, the good news. And then there's, and I use the word religion in a negative way, you know, people who try to manipulate people, make people feel guilty, uh, use biblical words like you're a sinner, you're going to hell. We There's been a lot of stuff in the past where religion has come against people who felt like I should have the freedom to live the way I want. Talk to me a little bit about, about Christians. How do Christians live in a world where I believe that <clears throat> God's given us freedom? Well, I, I actually begin a presentation uh, on engaging the culture with a clip from Saving Private Ryan. I, most of you may know that it's a movie about the Allies liberating uh, Europe starting on D-Day. And one of the clips, or one of the start of the movie, they, they actually land and these soldiers are getting shot at. They have to walk through barbed wire. They're carrying 50 pound uh, backpacks. They land in water where they have to swim, dodging bullets. And, and I, I start that, that presentation by asking my audience, who were the bravest men on that beach? Who were the bravest men on that beach? And the answer is actually the peop the soldiers who were in the second wave, because those soldiers on the first wave didn't know what they were going to get into. But the soldiers in the second wave saw what happened to the first wave, and the survival rate was, I think, like 20%, something like that in the first wave. But they went anyway. They went to fight anyway. Why? Because they were bringing liberation to an oppressed nation and giving them and fighting for their lives. As Christians, sometimes we forget that what we have is good news. What we have is life saving. And therefore we must be willing to endure all of this persecution to save as many as we can, to reach people as we can, to give them hope that only can come from Christ. And, and I think that's the first message often that I bring to people, is that we have to remember that what we have is good news. And as, a pol and as apologists, uh, this is also true of, of World War II, but as an apologist, I also want to remind people that what we have is the truth. We live in a time that is based on the history that there was a man who came 2,000 years ago 
ago who died, who rose again, who claimed to be God and proved it. So that's our history. Whether you're a Christian or not, that's part of your history, and you need to deal with the claims of Christ. So if you understand both of those things, that we ought to give good news, that we ought to give the truth, then the question then becomes, well, how do we do that? But, but, but even that's the point. We don't even come to that question yet because we've forgotten how good the good news really is, how true this good news really is. Uh, so that's part of what apologetics training is. It's, it's understanding that, you know, evangelism in this kind of day and age is no longer an event-based thing most of the time. It's about how you interact, how do you dialogue with people, the waitress at the restaurant. Well, what is that person's name? Do you even know who that is? Right, your neighbor across the fence. Right, do you know that person's name? And, and that's the point, is that God has placed his people in all kinds of places in Canada to reach the na- their neighbors and friends in ways that, you know, the best preachers cannot. And the question we need to ask is, do we understand that we have a responsibility to give them good news, just like those soldiers on World War II's D-Day? Very good. We hear a lot, the word a lot, woke, mm-hmm. and woke ideology, um, and are you woke? And it seems like society will just jump onto anything that's happening to make it look as if they're caring and they're loving. But talk to us a little bit about woke ideology. A lot of people I don't think even know where it comes from, what it means. Give us a quick lesson on woke. Well, part of, again, the, the well-meaning uh, people who've embraced these kinds of ideas, especially on university campuses, are people who've been hurt or friends have been hurt. Uh, because they've been attacked or they feel attacked, they feel left out. Maybe they're, they're minorities maybe by, because, because of their race or sexual orientation or gender or whatever kind of uh, uh, identity. And then, then they're forced or they feel like they're forced to embrace this identity. And in order to protect their community, their new neighborhood, their new tribe, they need to fight society's oppression against them. So being woke means being awake to the fact that they're being oppressed by whatever characteristic that they've they've hung to, that they've become their new identity. And they need to make sure everybody else recognizes that, everybody else welcomes that, everybody else treats them well in their perspective. And, and, and so in a way, it's, it's very much a defensive um, approach. It's a, one of a hurt that, that needs to be addressed. And I, I, I phrase it this way because I think it's important to understand. Uh, as scripture says, often people do bad things because they think it's good. And when we address the idea of wokeness, and you can probably see some of the problems already, we need to acknowledge that there's a sense of loss and hurt that this is meant to address. The problem is that's not how it's going to be addressed, because, as I said, our identity is first through our maker, our designer, our God. And without that spiritual reality, they're only looking at one aspect of their existence. And they're asking us then not just to accept them as an individual. They're asking us to accept their identity and their behavior as if it was morally good. So whether it's Black Lives Matter, whether it's LGBTQ uh, activists, what, what they're doing is not simply saying, let's love these people and accept the people. They're now saying, you must accept our politics. You must accept what, uh, what we believe in. You know, one of the things recently that I've been talking about is I, I've, been, I've dealt with same-sex attraction as a Christian, and I can't act on those feelings as a Christian because that's not how I believe God designed us. 
Now, does that mean I label myself through all kinds of ways? Well, well, no, I may not be able to choose my sexual attractions, but I can choose my behavior and ultimately my identity. And so part of responding to woke culture is to be able to help them understand that they have an option, they have a choice to choose which community and which identity they they have for their lives. And ultimately, how we sexually are attracted or how we feel at the moment is a fleeting identity that should not and cannot provide a solid foundation for who you are. God's feelings for us never changes. And that provides a solid foundation of a loving God who decides what my value is rather than how I feel at the moment. You're talking about accepting people. And Mm -hmm. can you just dive in a little bit deeper on that? Like one of the things we're supposed to do is to accept people as valuable. That's what love is, right? I'm looking at someone who is valuable. They are specially made by God. They are gifted by God. They have incredible value. God's in love with them. So I accept them. But then you were talking about um, what they believe and their behavior. But as a believer, we can't change that person. We can't force them to change, manipulate them to change. But we can value them. We can interact with them to the best of our ability, whether we're having a cup of coffee, going and play golf. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that, because some Christians in the past have been so hands-off, and I think they've been, uh, they, I don't think they've handled well uh, no. how they have shared their faith and what they think about people who don't agree with them. Right, no, and, and that goes back to being an ambassador for Christ, right? Uh, uh, scripture says we are ambassadors for Christ, whether we're good ones or not, unfortunately. Yeah. And, and oftentimes how we approach uh, these kinds of issues is not very good because we haven't been trained in churches. We don't, don't talk about these kinds of things. And, and I think that that's to our detriment. At the end of the day, Jesus talked about all kinds of common sense, practical things in day-to-day life. And that's how he showed the Christian worldview makes sense in every part of our life, not just in, in areas we consider spiritual. But, but in terms of interacting and loving people, it goes back to if you're married, if you have children, right? I, I was interacting with a pastor who was disagreeable to our perspective as Christians, and he believed that we can do whatever we want, basically, sexually on these kinds of issues, or at least when it comes to LGBTQ things. And so what I what I wanted to ask him, and, and I realized this is the set of questions I should have, have asked, I, I think my response was, was adequate, but it goes back to this. I should have asked him, sir, are you married? And if he said yes, I would have, I would have asked him, has your wife, does your wife love you? And if, I would hope he would say yes, of course. And if, if she say does, I would say then, has your wife ever felt the need to correct you? And if his wife was sitting there, I'd watch her reaction for his when he responded, right? Because yeah. anyone who's married, anyone who has kids knows that when you love someone, you love that person unconditionally, but you also want them to become better people. And that means sometimes confronting them in things that they've done wrong or that you think they've done wrong. I had a friend call me yesterday who thought I had said something untrue or false and was wanting to correct me. And I, you know what I did? I thanked him because I said, I really appreciate your care for being willing to confront me if I've done something wrong. And, and that's what real love looks like. In fact, you know someone really loves you when they're willing to do that. And so what we've done instead is we've embraced a false understanding of love that says love means you've never offended me. 
and and that's not biblical that's not scriptural that's also not practical right uh, and and I think it it makes sense then for us to go back to our friends who are maybe arguing this and ask these kinds of same same kind of questions to say do you do you have friends who are willing to tell you the truth even if it's painful do you think they do so because they love you or are they wasting their time because no one I've never seen that is willing to correct someone who doesn't care enough for that person if you don't care for that person you're not willing to correct them that's the whole point and it's it's a line that we like to use when we teach I work for a ministry called free to care and one of the things I, I like to show is it was actually Augustine who coined a phrase that Gandhi popularized which we've all heard before that we have to hate the sin but love the sinner and, and I think a biblical uh, way to say that instead is to say we have to hate the sin because we love the sinner. And we need to recognize that God hates sin so much because he's so massively in love with us. And if sin is something that is against God's design, that means it's harmful to us. And that's why God hates it. Right? So in the same way, the people around us, we have to be willing to love them enough to hate their sin. Jojo, that's well said. Thank you for being with us today. Man, our time went by so quickly. And uh, thank you for being our guest today and sharing. Thank you so much. And if it's okay, I'd really appreciate everyone to visit our website. If you want more of our resources, freetocare.ca. There's some great podcasts, some interviews, ways we can help your church, your ministry deal with these difficult conversations. Excellent. And it's right there on the screen as well for everyone who's watching. And I agree to dive in deeper and learn. Thanks again, Jojo. Thank you so much. Return to Reason is supported by our fans. We are not handcuffed by advertisers or shareholders. The need for media with integrity is more important than ever. Consider becoming a partner and fueling the unheard truth by visiting returntoreason.tv.